Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings, salutations, and a big hello to all of my listeners. My unlucky lounge rats, thank you for walking back this way to the Unlucky Lounge located in historic Monoscrew Manor for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of this fair establishment, but I'm never alone. Oh no, with me is the tutu that's always there for you on turn number two. His name is Borok, my bear buddy. We've got ourselves quite a week ahead of us. That's right, Borok. This week, we get to turn this duo into a trio as we have a brand new guest joining us on the show, becoming part of the Unlucky Lounge Nation. But before we get to our conversation and all of our cool times, a few bits of housekeeping and upkeeping. As always, this show is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out, BLEAV.com, or wherever you download your audio goodness. Keep those midday blues away with Believe. And the show is always here for all of you. It will always be free, and we want you to join in on all of the socials fun. Find us on Twitter, Draft and Draft Corey. Also on YouTube, if you have yet to have the opportunity to check out our draft log from our latest Friday night podcast episode with Jeff from FTL. Go and find us on YouTube at Draft and Draft Corey. Same with the Twitchverse. We have now moved the Unlucky Lounge to a brand new medium. So find us as well on Draft and Draft Corey. That's the profile name. And if the show is giving you some joy, think about joining us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash draft and draft. You can help us keep the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. Well, friends, all of the housekeeping is done. The Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet, and it's time for us to get to our episode at hand. Not too long ago, we had a guest come and join us here in the Unlucky Lounge, a fellow Magic player, a fellow socialite on Twitter, and quite frankly, a phenomenal human being. We had such a great time that we had to break up our conversations and all of the fun stuff we did into multiple episodes that we are going to debut here throughout the week. And just as a note to all of my unlucky lounge rats, if you hear a few kind of staticky glitches, no, that's not your stuff. That's actually mine. During the conversation, I was having such a great time that I didn't even notice some of the audio glitches that were going on, but truly... This conversation is still wonderful, so come and join the new found friendship found here in the Unlucky Lounge with Miss Restoration Thea. And right back here is the feature table. This is where I bring only our exclusive VIPs, and I mean, I couldn't think of someone more VIP than you, but what's really awesome is that Borak, our bear tender, he can literally make you any themed MTG beverage. Like if you literally just give him uh, a name or a noun from magic, he will make you something really amazing. Like, give give it a try. Well, Corey, I just have to say, first of all, it's it's been great to be here and, you know, you do flatter me with your words. I don't know if I'm that important, but um, having a drink right now sounds great. And um, I'm in the mood for something rich. And, you know, looking at this menu here, 
uh, I think of the rich mana on Zendikar. So how about when I'm looking at this menu, Hedron Latte is sticking out to me. Extra hot, and I want that ristretto also. Harder, go get that Hedron Latte. Come on, my man. And, I, and it will be rich, because have you seen the prices of some of those epic Eldrazi's nowadays on the market? That is a rich person's card, if you know what I'm talking about. I have expensive tastes. What can I say? Well, I hope that our, our wonderful pub here will be able to fulfill those very classy tastes. But let's first uh, just swing it over to you and just say it's so great to have you back here in the featured table, Thea. Like, I, I just can't even. And all my lucky lounge rats, we, we've got an amazing person, a former content creator, great person on Twitter, a writer, uh, joining us here on the show this week. Thank you, thank you. It's it's great to be here. And um, yeah, even though I'm not as active in magic lately, it is still, um, you know, one of my biggest hobbies in the world. And uh, since the pandemic, I'm on Arena 24 seven, it feels like hoping to get a stream set up soon. But yeah, I haven't been doing any writing or anything in a while. But yeah, super well, excited to be here, Corey. Well, when I'll tell you, when that stream goes live, I will be one of the first people following you because this, the, the stuff in the decks that you post are a lot of fun to look at. But as we have you here, and I'm sure that maybe some of my listeners don't quite know you, why don't you give us a little background? Like, where did your start with Magic the Gathering begin? Yeah, of course. So like many people, I was introduced to Magic in the mid-90s with, I believe it was revised. I can't remember exactly, but, um, you know, in our neighborhood, kind of in the downtown, there was a little gaming toy store. And my brother, you know, I siblings, they tag along with their older brother. I would tag along. And what we used to actually buy was the X-Men. We loved X-Men. We got the 93, 94 Fleer Ultra Series or something. And we, would just, we just loved the X-Men parts. And then one day something new appeared. It was this thing, Magic the Gathering. And he started buying it. So of course I did too with like my $5 allowance for mowing the lawn or whatever. And we didn't really know how to play, but we thought the cards were so cool. And this was kind of like, since that era in the mid early nineties, I just loved card games and trading cards since then. And we had uh, kind of a collection together and we grew up in a very, very conservative Christian family. And one day our mom looked through the cards and she found the card uh, Pestilence. And she thought oh, it no. was, she thought it was this this demonic thing and she thought we were going to go to hell and she was like what are you kids doing and she took away all of our magic cards so that's oh kind of kind of how i got my introduction to the game that that's kind of atypical 90s right like that was at the yes. height of all the print all the parental warning labels on there say like yeah and what what interesting context and that was probably around the same time as uh, the Black Summer when uh, they released Torment and it was all like black skewed or at least maybe yeah. a little bit before that or something in that general vague. I'm I'm kind of short on Magic Timeline pre-Scourge because that's when I started. Yeah, it's all it's all a little hazy to me. Um, you know, it, I just remember thinking the cards looked so cool and the ones with the bigger numbers. You know, I was so young. I was like six, seven at that time. And like I said, uh, we didn't really know how to play. At least I didn't. I think my older brother might have, but um, the cards, any card with a big number, I think my favorite was like Wall of Ice or something. And I was like, how could anybody beat this? It has, I think it was like a three mana 07. Um, but yeah, to, to the point of the demonic thing, like. 
there was the, you know, I think they called it in the media, the satanic panic for a while. Like everything was satanic and demonic and video games, comic books, trading cards, like everything kind of experienced this, but yeah, we, we got our cards taken away. So I didn't uh, touch another magic card for a while after that. <laughs> yeah, I just love that you also pull out that big mana thing. I, I remember so vividly the first time I'm and was introduced to the game, I was like, with a random friend that I made at my mom's dog training park. And he was like, oh, here's this game. And he like gives you a deck, but he keeps like his own deck and you start playing it. And like, they're explaining to you and clearly like now you've had some time, you know that you didn't know how to play the rules whatsoever. And then they're like, ha, I got there. And then they play like their old school OG Nico Bolas from Revise. And I'm like, huh, well, no, like back then you're like, oh man, what a cool car. But now like when you sit back, you're like, yeah, this guy was definitely just trying to game me a little bit, wasn't he? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. But Absolutely. That's when you're a kid, you're having fun, you're playing around. And mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I, I played a bunch of other card games too. I've talked about on the show, Dragon Ball Z, the card game. That's when I got introduced. And I, it looks like you said, like you were a big fan of card games in general. What other, do you like dabble into any other card games along the way? Yeah, so so after the magic cards got taken away, um, there was another game store nearby. And we actually, we got into the Star Wars card game for a while. And uh, my brother and I were very close, so we played that together. And again, I think he knew the rules a little bit better than I did, but we played the original Star Wars card game. Very complicated, don't really remember any of it all. I actually had some of the Star Wars episode one card, they had their own like card game for that. I did that for a while, um, but I kind of found, re-found my love of card games, and this might be blasphemy to some Magic players with Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, I got a Yu-Gi-Oh! Game Boy Advance game and started, I was like, this is really fun. And I started buying the packs and I actually became, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! had these things called area champions. Uh, so in a certain geographical area for a certain number of sanctioned stores, I became our area champion. So I spent a lot of my time in high school um, playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and I loved playing the Yu-Gi-Oh! digital games too. I might venture to say card like that game and the old Pokemon TCG game on Game Boy, they were kind of ahead of their time because they knew that on the yeah. go playing at convenience would be the way in which that these games would want to be configured and look at time now. and. Yeah, I just have to, I have to throw this out here because you reminded me of a story. You said the original sure. Star Wars card game. I actually remember for like a very brief time in, I don't know, like 2001, I had a friend that really wanted to play the game, but he needed people because there just wasn't that many people playing the game. So he built me like a Jawa deck and he's like, here, it's yours. Just make sure to get me the cards back. And I remember I accidentally put them in like my coat pocket and I left the coat outside and it rained. Oh no, cards. oh no. <gasps> uh, and they, they moved away and I never heard from them again. But if you're out there listening, I'm so sorry. I owe you some Java deck at some point. But <laughs> it, it also, it's kind of ironic that you mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh! And I, I don't find it blasphemous. Mm. I think they're just very two different card games. Like it, when you play a number yeah. of, of many card games, you realize that all of them kind of satisfy different things. Like it's like comparing Star Trek to Star Wars. Like you can because they're both space shows, but they're really very different, uh, like mechanically and systematically. And I mean, ironically, your parents let you play Yu-Gi-Oh, where one might argue that Yu-Gi-Oh is way more in that satanic panic world than Magic yeah. the Gathering, you know? It's kind of ironic that you were okay for that one. Yeah, well, um, I was a little bit older at that time. You know, I was, that was like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I played it for about five years. So I think when you become a teenager, your parents kind of lose a little bit of control over you. And what was funny was 
my mom would give me, uh, you know, 20, 20, like both my parents worked, they weren't really home. My mom would give me 20 bucks for lunch at school. You know, my parents didn't have time to make me a lunch. I would save my $20, <laughs> uh, you know, she'd give it to me on Monday and on Saturday, I'd go to the uh, local game store and I would enter Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments with that. And yeah, so I, there was five bucks to enter. I would enter two tournaments and get lunch. I just didn't eat lunch at school, so. Oh yeah, 110%. I'm right, like definitely like saved a little bit extra of lunch money. And then I, I remember the, the this was like pre-driving days where you had to, like I had to walk like five miles uh -huh. to get to my local game store with like a large bag on my back, but I'm young and I can, and I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna make the walk so I can go play whatever game I want to. I could not do that nowadays. My old back would be like, nope, no thank you. Not even a, not an option. But okay, so we, we got all these great card games. We played them past. At some point, I'm sure you had to find your way back into Magic the Gathering, yes? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, as I mentioned, I played a lot of these digital Yu-Gi-Oh card games. I kind of fell out of paper, you know, once I got a little bit older, but still, you know, take the bus to college, um, to work, whatever, play my Yu-Gi-Oh on DS. So I love digital card games. So in 2009, um, the first Duels of the Planeswalkers game came out on Xbox 360. And I remember just vaguely seeing it and it was $10 and I just had this thought. I was like, oh, I remember this game. This was what me and my brother used to play when we were kids and our mom took away all our cards. And I downloaded it and I caught on very quickly because even though Yu-Gi-Oh is a very different game, you know, if you were kind of good at one card game, there's a lot of knowledge transference there. So I caught on very quickly. I, I played it, you know, I was just blown away. Like, oh my God, I love this. Like, this is so deep. There's so many things to do. You know, after playing it for a few days, I called up my older brother and I'm like, hey, remember that game we used to play when we were kids? Mom took away our cards. I was like, they released an Xbox version. It's only $10, like you gotta get it. So he downloaded it right away. And from that point on, Magic was and still has kind of been our, you know, our main hobby, how we bond together as brother and sister. And it was all we talked about. And um, we eventually, you know, so that was August 2009. And then in uh, December 2009, um, I, I was in grad school in Colorado at the time, but I came back to uh, Seattle where we live um, for winter break. And my brother was like, hey, do you want to come to this thing called a draft? I didn't even know what a draft was at that time. And it was a, uh, uh, a Zendikar draft. You know, he gave me a quick rundown. He's like, take one card. Uh, if you, you know, I, I, did, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, help me please. And he just said, look, if you see a card called Vampire Nighthawk or Hedron Crab, take it. <laughs> and I, I got a Nighthawk and somehow in that very first draft I ever did, I ended up going two, two, and one. Um, so that was really cool. And that's, again, the, the digital game kind of reintroduced me. And then that first paper draft, I just, I fell in love with Limited and I've been a hardcore Limited player ever since. I mean, if you're gonna be thrown into your first draft, going to draft Zendikar, arguably one of the fastest, most punishing yes. limited formats of all time. Wow, like good on you and going two, two, one. My first draft was an absolute eject of a draft from Mirrodin. So kudos on you and way to get that Vampire Nighthawk. I, I, 
I've told the story before, but my favorite Vampire Nighthawk memory was going to GP Minneapolis doing Zendikar and the tournament announcer is going on the PA saying, excuse me, players, um, if you have your own swamps, please use them because we run out of the front. <laughs> Black was so good in Zendikar. It was, you know, even there was like a three mana tutu, like the mindless null that was even playable just because Black had so many cheap removal spells. And obviously I didn't know that in this first draft, but yeah, I I went to a tournament too. There were so many Zendikar drafts, you know, subsequently where just the swamps are gone that, you know, you get your Vampire Nighthawk, you get your Disfigures, you get your Gatekeeper of Malakir, Vampire Hexmage. Ooh, yes, yeah, now you some real Black. bangers. Yeah. Naming some real bangers. I love it. What was the the two two for one? Was it Vampire Lacerator? Am I right? It's like you lost one. Is a two two for one black? Yeah, they're the uh, the Vampire Lacerator. I don't know. I'm blanking. But yes, all the vampires. There was like a one one for one that also got like plus two plus one if your opponent. But yeah, there were just so many vampires and just black just dominated in Zendikar. And you get your your trusty machete or. Um, you know, there was like the landfall equipment that gave plus two plus two. I don't, I don't think that was the boots. I think that was from World Lake. It's all, it's all a blur, but yeah. Being thrown into Zendikar for my first draft experience was was quite a trip to say the least. And it was like a 40 person draft too. It was like a big store. Ooh. So I I was the new girl. I had no idea what I was doing. So yeah. I miss, oh, I miss those big store events. Like I, I can't wait yes, to get back absolutely. to it. And did you ever get to experience those old like pre-release events where you wait till midnight to go in the store and you said and like the, it's the only store for miles that's doing a pre-release event so everyone's gathered at this one place oh my gosh that was just magical and zendikar was the first time expeditions came out so you'd be at this large event and people would open like revised duels like out of yeah. the zendikar packs the the i think they called them the hidden treasures sack yes so something like that but yeah, I didn't go to the pre-release, but I, I heard the legends and, you know, my brother was telling me about it. Yeah, so it was a great time with Zendikar, but just that, that concept of sitting around the table, socializing, building the deck on the fly, something about that just resonated with me so much. And, uh, it, you know, I play a few different magic formats. I dabble in modern a little bit. I play a lot of commander too, but just limited draft will always be my baby. You, you and I, our hearts beat in the same thing. I'm always, I'm always about that limited life. I, I, I say all the time, the thing that I love about limited is the fact that it's got this jazz feel. You improvise with what's going on in the yes. moment. You adapt to it, and being able to hear the ebb and flow is just a key to unique moments, memorable moments, mm -hmm. and successes that you didn't even expect to happen. So you're here. You are in Zendikar. And this format is for enfranchised players. And clearly your love is going to start to run deeper. So where did you decide to jump further in and make magic more than just a casual, but you know, suddenly we become hobbyist gamers or lifetime gamers, like I can definitely say I am. Yeah, absolutely. But before I expound upon that, uh, speaking of Zendikar, I just want to say, I'm really enjoying this Hedron Latte. It's, it's very rich. And, you know, just like the rich mana in Zendikar, this is, exactly what I wanted. So please, my thanks to the bartender in the wine attorneys over here. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, Borok, she likes the drink. Yeah, I, I don't know where the rest of the Hedron stuff is. It's all it's all like in the back corner. Look look near the 
I don't know, the delirium stuff. Clearly, I have no idea what I'm saying right now. He takes care of all the inventory in the back. I anticipate that'll be a bestseller moving forward, despite the expensive price, but yeah, very much enjoying it. Magic, it, it, it gets in our blood and we start to dig deeper. Tell us, where, where did you take that next step? How did that next step come to you? Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of a sad and a happy story. So just kind of the sad part, I mentioned previously, I was in grad school. Um, I came down with a very severe illness um, while I was in grad school, and this was in um, early 2010. And um, I ended up leaving the program I was in, came home to live with my parents, and it took me a while to recover. And, but, so here's kind of where the happy part comes in. While I was recovering, you know, I needed to do a lot of socializing. I needed to do um, some, something. And, you know, like I said, that Zendikar draft, my brother taught me how to play commander. Um, I didn't work full time for quite a while. And in my free time, I just decided I'm going to go to every magic event that I can. There was never any intent of being you know, the best magic player or anything, but I just, I wanted to, you know, be able to socialize and kind of have something to do while I was dealing with this illness. Um, I used it as a way to kind of normalize and help me get back into society. I had some, some memory problems and it helped me to kind of, you know, learn how to socialize again and um, connect with people. And I just tried to spend as much time as I could playing paper magic. So that's the first, you know, after I left my grad school program, the first um, big tournament I went to was the Rise of the Eldrazi pre-release. Um, and let me tell you, Rise of the Eldrazi, amazing set, but- um, So good, so yeah. good. Oh my gosh, I wish they would do one of those remastered, please. <laughs> I just, I just want to play more overgrown battlements until the cows go home. I, I just want more overgrown battlement in my life. That's all I want. The 04 wall yeah. that makes a, a green for each wall that you control and Vent Sentinel, please, please, yeah. let's let's go. Let's get a remastered, good call. Definitely, yeah. You got the Vent Sentinel deck or you can just rip between Ulamog's Crusher and start annihilating your opponent. Nothing like a common with Annihilator too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, let's talk about power levels of common. Like, <laughs> hey, listen, we, we know power. We know power creeps a thing, but just go back and take a look at the full list of Rise of Aldrazi, all my unlucky lounge rats, and realize the kind of commons we were working with uh, back then. Like, that was that was a completely wacky, like upside down limited format. But that's kind of like why we love these things and like exploring new things. But I'm sorry, you you were speaking of uh, to you know Rise of Aldrazi, like kind of invigorating yeah. us and, and almost like the same way that it invigorated the limited environment by doing something different. Definitely, definitely. And it just, it, it was something that was really good for me personally. And so this is, I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but um, I was very early into YouTube and this will loop around and make sense. Um, and I used to play a lot of Guitar Hero and I used to love modding the Guitar Hero video game. And I had a whole channel with um, millions of views and thousands of subscribers all the way back in 2007, 2008. So this is like, you know, wild west of YouTube days. And um, I was, I did all this stuff on Guitar Hero. It was a big hobby for me. I love making videos. I love editing videos. And so while I was dealing with this illness and playing all this magic, I came home one day and I had, I think it was four prize packs of Rise of the Eldrazi. 
And I decided to just be, I opened a new YouTube channel and I was like, you know what? What if like, I just talk about my draft. And so this is 2010, kind of before this concept of a magic YouTuber even really existed. Like YouTube was so different back then. It's so polished now, but everything was so, so rough around the edges. And I, I personally kind of missed that, but I just, I had this thought, I was like, you know, I just came home from a draft. Um, I'm not working right now. What if I just go like set up my laptop in a room, you know, my old, old MacBook, you know, tilt the camera down, talk about my deck that I drafted and open these prize packs on camera. So I did that and I just, this was not a professional video, but I just, I showed the cards. I talked about the draft. It was just like a 10 minute video. And to me, this was just a way, again, I wanted to keep socializing. I wanted to keep improving my memory helping out with this illness that I was dealing with. And one of the cards that I had opened, I had opened a Sark in the Mat. And I, I, the video got a couple hundred views and I got a message a few days later. Hey, do you want to trade that Sark in the Mat? And I was like, what? People want to just, just somebody from across the country saw my video and they want to trade this card and I'm thinking how does this even work so I I talked to this person and they introduced me to and I don't know if many magic players know about this at the time back in 2010 2011 there was a whole YouTube community dedicated to trading cards online um and you know you're probably I see the reaction on your face like what um, I'm happy to tell you all about how that worked if you wanted to hear. I mean, honestly, you're kind of ahead of your time, Thea. Like, that thats that just is such a prevalent thing. People opening up drafts, deck teching, pack openings. I mean, that's pretty much 100% of my YouTube scroll right now. <laughs> if I just scroll through, yeah. I will find five videos that are people are suggesting that to me. That I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of stunned because you were there at the forefront. You were like... John Wayne of the <laughs> of the YouTube days in Magic YouTube and and social like I that that's stunning that's absolutely stunning I I like did you were you able to acquire anything like I mean Sark in the Mad you know now is you know it, it's a fun little niche playing with Walker but was there anything like really big you were able to kind of ascertain from this like I kind of feel like that's like trading for for dollar rares like what was there anything with big stakes in there Oh yeah, there were big stakes because there were all types of players who were in this trading community. Some who were just casual, some who were hardcore. And I was getting, you know, <laughs> I was mainly doing draft, drafts, but then I discovered there's this thing called standard. So I was trying to build a standard deck. And um, so before I get into kind of what the big prizes are, let me tell you the way this worked for it because this was crazy. This is like YouTube looked different back then. Back then, every channel had just like a homepage and you would have a description and it would just say like about this channel. And so there were like rules within the trading community. So what you had to do, you had to make a binder video where you showed every card in your binder that was for trade. And that was kind of what you would put as like your main video. And then you had to list in your profile what you were looking for. So like I listed in mine, I was looking for fetch lands and I was looking for Jason Mind Sculptor because we needed back then to compete. And when, so there were some kind of rules around, 
you know, how do you know a trade went through? If you wanted to initiate, if you initiated the trade, you had to send first. That was one of the core rules. And then once you sent the cards, the other YouTuber you sent it to would make a video showing the condition of the cards, how they were packaged, and you know, saying, yes, like we agreed upon this. This was this was a good trader. I recommend this person. And then they would send the cards and you would make a video, uh, like an opening and show just so everybody knew, you know, who was a trustworthy trader and who wasn't. So through this process and through following these rules, I completed playsets of all of my Zendikar fetch lands and Jason the Mind Sculptor. Um, and I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Like I said, I wasn't working. So I don't want this to sound like, oh my God, I was the best player ever, but I knew <laughs> I had to, I had to get good at the game if I wanted to get prize packs, if I wanted to trade. So I kind of started this cycle of, you know, try to get really good at the game, go to limited tournaments, you know, take high value rares if I see it, you know, build these decks, get some prize packs, open them online. And it just became this really, really fun thing. But yeah, I got, I got some gold in those trades and I still have that play set of Jason Mind Sculptors from those days. It's the circle of magic life. And I'm just, I'm kind of like stunned by the, the almost like mechanical yet very like well-organized uh, you know, make sure that all the, the, the column A is filled and column B of this this old, like, e, even like with now in 2020 to then, people can find how to make things work. And the magic community, I think is a great example of that. Like no matter what, like even if the game sometimes is going a little like sideways, we find ways to make it work. Like I'd almost say that's kind of how the rise of say Commander came about in the early 2010s to today is people just didn't want to play standard. There was some like, there's some yeah. bugaboos and there's a, a certain entry point, you know, to having to play standard. You just mentioned like four Jason the Mind Sculptors and a bunch of fetch lands. Look that up. I'm sure it's like, like increasing its price by three, like 300% or something by now, you know? And mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's really fascinating to see how the community ourselves, we can kind of grow and change and adapt with what's going on. Yeah, and I think, you know, specifically this this YouTube trading community, I feel like this is something a lot of people don't know about. Could just, again, do, this was so long ago, so proto-YouTube days, but this was a big thing. And there was a whole community of people who had listed who was trustworthy and who wasn't. And so, you know, to, for me, I did the trading thing for a while, and eventually uh, it just kind of petered out. You know, people just stopped doing that. Uh, Puka Trade came about and uh, there were, you know, more convenient ways, TCG player just to like sell cards. So I think the YouTube uh, trading community had its moment in the sun, but I, I continued doing YouTube for a little bit for probably up until, gosh, probably 2014, 2015. And again, I didn't have like high quality equipment, but it was, I, I, what I really liked to do was I would go to a limited tournament and I would come home. I would save the deck that I made. I'd lay it out on my table and, you know, like hold, hold up my phone and say like, <laughs> oh yeah, like here's the deck, like take a picture of it, do a little Ken Burns so it goes through and show. Ooh, get, yeah. I like it getting fancy with the Ken Burns effect. Yeah, I got, got the Ken Burns effect on my iMovie. So I would, I would show the deck and, um, you know, talk about it and say, yeah, so this deck got me a three and one, which was four prize packs, 
and I would open those packs. And I kind of I kind of did that for a while. And again, I wasn't like super popular. And um, I, I think part of YouTube that people have really discovered now is you really have to focus on one thing on your channel. Like you have to find your niche. I was still doing other gaming stuff on my channel too. I did, you know, um, some stuff about cosplay. I was really into cosplay at the time. I did some like cosplay tutorials. I, um, you know, I minored in Japanese in college and I studied abroad there and I did some videos about Japan. And so I think the reason my, my channel never really took off. And again, I wasn't trying to make it big. I was just doing this for fun. Um, I, I wasn't very focused. It was just kind of like a, a variety, like a vlog about myself and magic was just kind of this thing that was a part of the channel, but kind of in another world, had I wanted to, I'm sure if I did magic, I could have been one of the quote unquote big YouTubers, but that was never really like a goal of mine, but that's just how it played out. And eventually, eventually I did, um, I did a new channel. I got really into uh, beauty actually. So I started doing a beauty <laughs> vlogging channel where I would do outfit of the day. I would do, you know, makeup tutorials, like, oh, my haul, my shoe collection, just kind of like girls do and, you know, very cliche channel, but I had a lot, I took a break from doing magic content for a while, but that's kind of, that was how I first got involved with magic content and what I did for a few years. Honestly, in the life of any planeswalker, you or I, we need those times to sometimes take a break. I mean, I can't mm -hmm. tell you the number of times that, you know, I've set my cards off to the side and found another hobby or just something else to focus on, be it, you know, personal or mental health for a while. It, it's important. Like, and I'm sure even like the big pro players, the big names that are out there can attest to something very similar where there, there's a moment where the amount of mental emotion you're putting into the game is not the same that you're getting back. And at that point, it's good to take a break. And honestly, beauty tutorials, I'm in it. I'm looking at my own <laughs> complexion right now and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I could use some tips myself. I see the baggy eyes. I should get some cucumbers. Borok, do you have some cucumbers? He's not even paying attention. Nothing. Wow. Classic, <laughs> classic Borok. <laughs> No, excuse me, Borok, I did not throw you under the bus. I was looking for you to set me up with some cucumbers for the really clever joke I was making. What were you doing? Talking to Mr. Turtle or something? Um, Turtle? No, 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 not right now, Mr. Turtle. I was just talking about something else with Borok at the moment. Okay, um, when's the next time I can be on the show again? Mm, turtle? I, I don't know. The next time we make a turtle joke, you can have another random cut in. How about oh, that? Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> I'm so excited that I'm shell-shocked, mm, turtle. Ugh, now I gotta deal with turtle puns too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, Borok. But you know, who's also quite clever is our friend Thea. And the conversation continues onward. Our flow was so good that we had enough stuff to pack in more than one show. And we are going to have part two coming out real soon. And to make sure you're on top of part two, 
do all of those social things. Like, share, subscribe wherever you download your podcast. Find us on socials on Twitter, Draft and Draft Corey. YouTube the same as well as on Twitch. And if the show is giving you some joy, find us on patreon.com backslash draft and draft. Take advantage of our tiered benefits. And thank you to all of our patrons who are on there supporting us right now. We could not do this show without you. Well, friends, it looks like I found the bottom of my drink, and so we've reached the end of another episode. Make sure to do all of those things, because part two of this epic conversation is coming out real soon, and you don't want to miss it, as well as a very special Friday Night Podcast draft with our very special guest. But for now, thanks for tuning in. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borok. <laughs> Oh, and, uh, uh, what about me, too? <laughs> you didn't forget about me, did you, mm, Turtle? And yes, of course, Mr. Turtle as well. Oh, I made it to the outro, mm, Turtle. And this has been Draft and Draft. Now go out there and make some magical memories, conversations, and connections of your own. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.